Hi everyone, it's Thursday, July 9th, 2020. My interview today is with Phil Turigno, an assistant coach at West Point for Army Rugby. Phil is considered by many in the rugby community as a rising star in his methodologies and philosophies. Our discussion ranges from his introduction to rugby at New Rochelle High School, his early coaching experiences in Texas, methodologies, as well as the use of pressure. He speaks about the future of player and coaching development in the United States. Stay tuned after the interview for some final thoughts about my interview with Phil. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I know it was short notice. Uh, good to see you. Good to hear from you. We have a few mutual friends in common and your name kept coming up over and over again. I'm like, I got to get this guy on and see, you know, he doesn't know me from, from anyone, but I, I it was just a shot in the dark. So uh, thanks for agreeing to come on and uh, really want to pick your brain. And, uh, you know, um, I, I watched, I rewatched your webinar that you, you did recently. And uh, it was just a lot of, a lot of mind blowing stuff in there, to be honest with you. And, uh, I don't know how many rabbit holes, rabbit holes you want to go down, but it was it was some really good stuff. But uh, if you just want to tell the audience uh, sort of your introduction to rugby and uh, you know your background to it and how you eventually got into coaching. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Rob, for having me on. You know, for the opportunity and uh, for the kind words as well. I, I um, you know, since James Kimberly told me you know about your, your show, I've had the chance to to go through and listen some of the episodes and I think it's a great concept uh, and I've enjoyed it immensely um, and yet small world that we, we have a few mutual friends so yes uh, the Reader's Digest version of my rugby career um, I played in high school at New Rochelle High School okay. uh, essentially how that came about is um, I was playing baseball all through my youth uh, envisioned being a varsity baseball player that sophomore year came around and I thought I was an elite level fielder um, which I probably you know, it was pretty good, but when it came time to hitting that varsity pitching, um, couldn't quite hack it. So that was the end of that, basically. And uh, ultimately found rugby um, after that as a spring sport. And uh, very fortunate for that because it's probably um, been the biggest, I suppose, influence uh, in my life. After that, uh, for four years, then I played a fifth year in college at um, Columbia University, uh, which was an interesting experience to start to get some high-level coaching there because um, Columbia and Old Blue at the time had basically a joint setup because Old Blue trains at the Columbia facilities in northern Manhattan. Right. So I got exposed to some of the really good coaching uh, that they have there, um, including a guy like Marty Veal, you know, who was Eagles coach, uh, and then went on to coach Super Rugby, and um, you know now is back with Rooney. I mean, as someone in your early 20s to have that experience, uh, that's where I started to learn a lot about the game. Right. So you were introduced, you were one of the few in this region that was introduced to rugby at the high school level, and you've never stopped since then. Um, and I, uh, that's right, I, I actually forgot that New Rochelle had a, a, has had a, a sort of a rugby program for a long time. Um, Few and far between in, in, in the New York area, more, more so Connecticut, I assume. Um, but I, hopefully that, that changes uh, as time goes on. Um, so you, you played uh, at Columbia. You, you were uh, sort of influenced by uh, some high-level coaches early on. Um, 
So what was it about rugby that sort of, uh, sort of drew you as, as opposed to the traditional sports? Yeah, it's a great, um, it's a great question. Something that I've reflected on. Um, I think to be candid, it was, um, it was an opportunity, um, to be involved with something. And that's what was, was attractive to me. Um, looking back, um, and obviously in hindsight, I talk to my high school coach a lot now. Um, a guy named Mike McKay taught at Nourishal High School for 33 years, just retired and coached, you know, for, for a lot of that time as well. Um, I wasn't a great player in high school. Um, I think towards the end, um, I started to learn the game more, right? So much of it is learning. Um, and then when I got to college, I think I, I put the pieces together and I, I um, enjoyed it. So I think at first it was just the opportunity to be involved with something that was structured, like a varsity program, because I didn't make baseball, right? And so that's kind of a crushing thing when you don't make it and, and your opportunities uh, are gone. And, and in no way that I think I was going to play for the Yankees. I didn't have those aspirations. But you're with your friends, right? And it means a lot to represent your high school. Yeah. Um, so that I didn't have that opportunity. So this was another avenue and um, kind of haven't looked back uh, since. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say, and, and you're still, obviously, uh, you're still very young and, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for you, so to speak. Um, so those early influencers you had were, were some of your early coaches. Were any any other any other people that sort of stand out as far as influencing your journey into into in, in rugby and maybe even coaching aspirations of coaching? Yeah, I think Rob, it's an interesting question. I would say, you know, to be totally candid, a lot of the coaches that I had in rugby were really good guys that volunteered their time to teach the sport, but I didn't have. Um, coaches that were like technical experts that were teaching advanced methodologies of the game. That wasn't until I got into that, that environment in Columbia. So a lot of what I did as a coach when I first started out, and I started out with the women's team at Texas Tech and then with the men's team. So this, my journey kind of takes me from being in New York. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got quite a resume, right? <laughs> if you want to go through that, that's fine. I'm sure the listeners would love to hear it. Um, no, I think basically I ended up in Texas for work is a long, long and short of it. Um, in Lubbock, Texas, which is far out West, um, it's a big city in, in the middle of nowhere, basically. And, um, it's a far cry from New Rochelle, I'm sure. No doubt. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Um, I started coaching cause I wanted to be involved in the game basically. And there were not opportunities to play there cause there isn't a men's club in that city. There's not one for like a three hour radius there. So because I didn't have that much coaching um, at, at, a, at a high level, I would say, I put the pieces together myself and I started to do a lot of stuff that was definitely not in the book. But like my, my edition of the, the book never came in the mail, right, basically. Right. So I started doing all types of stuff like putting our best athletes um, on the wing, but then also jumping them in the line out and finding a lot of ways to, to utilize them, but not in the traditional sense. It's not having your best player play seven where he has to clean 25 breakdowns and isn't, uh, doesn't have the X factor anymore. So I would put that player and have him carry, for instance, off the line out right. um, and do other things. So to try and be effective. So I, I made it up uh, as I went along. Right. That's crazy because that's funny that you say that because, you know, I started playing in 96 and I've seen the progression of the game, you know, since then. And it's like, Back then, you know, the guy who played on the wing was like, you know, the guy, you know, the 15th guy. Now, now every team has a stud winger, you know, and every team has a stud seven and a stud eight, you know, 
Um, and again, and I've mentioned this in my other podcasts, um, you know, and uh, even in the past, I would even say in like the past eight to 10 years, eight to five, five to eight years, the game has become so much, and maybe you could, please, the game has become so much more cerebral, I feel like. Um, it's just, uh, it's progressing at such a rate that, uh, you know, every, every team has those stud players now. Now, like you said, it's about methodology. It's about, you know, um, your, your strat- strategies. And uh, um, I don't know, what do you think about that? Would you agree to some degree on that? Yeah, I think um, if you want to go down a rabbit hole here, we'll, sure. we'll open one up. Um, I think that's a very astute um, observation. Um, Rob, I really do. I think that at the, at the highest levels of the game, but even at, at every level, so talking about the best club teams, the best high school teams, at, at any level, the best teams in those competitions, right. they know you well. They right. know you intimately. Right. Um, what I think about rugby is that rugby is presently, it's a power game full of these 30-second instances of power, right? right? And it's essentially become the, a mix of the NFL where you're structured for three phases and then it's soccer because you're trying to kick it away to unsettle the opposition right. and try to get your defensive structure set before their attack is ready to be set, right. if that makes sense. No, that definitely does. And I, and I, I kind of wanted to get in because I know you touched on that on your webinar. And um, I, I don't know how you feel about just sort of taking some key points out of that because I thought what you said in the webinar was, you know, really, really like, like for instance, um, you talked about possession um, in your own half as opposed to possession in, in the other team's half. You talked about playing in, in between the tens. You talked about, um, you know, your defense. And again, please correct me if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm misstating anything. You talked about um, using the foot a lot um, and box kicking and, um, you know, stuff that you see at the higher levels and maybe at the lower levels. I don't know if, if, if the athletes aren't there or those skills just aren't taught. Or it's all about possession, 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 and you, you know you have you have 20 phases of ball, and then you have and then inside the 10 you're you're knocking it on, or you're, you're getting a penalty, and that it's demoralizing. So I really like what you talked about in the webinar. If you could just expand on that a little bit for the for the audience, because I think I think that like like you said, this this is the way rugby is going. I think right. Yeah, absolutely, Robin. I think that this is actually more applicable to the club game and the high school game um, or the semi-pro game uh, than anywhere else because all the teams aren't doing it. Okay. So if I'm coaching a club team, like if I were to coach a club team right now, right. here's what I would do. Okay. So he, he, here's the blueprint, right? Yeah, definitely. And, I, and, I, and listen, I know Danbury has been very successful and I'm familiar with it. Uh, so I'm sure there's a great, um, great formula that you guys have going on, but, but there's a transition to happening, you know, and I, and I think, I think uh, I think that uh, like you, I think you like you had mentioned um, in your webinar, like um, you know the crash ball. You know teams are wearing themselves out with the crash ball, and that's that's like and that when I when I was playing, that was that was the formula everyone had, you know. And uh, as you pointed out, you know there's there's better ways to uh, sort of your defense could be your offense, and vice versa. 100%. The, the okay, game, great. in my estimation, the game is all about pressure. Okay. Right. The game is about relieving pressure when you're under it, when you're under it, building it and applying it to the opposition. Okay. 
So here's what I would do, for example, let's break it down to a very specific um, example that I think is digestible. And then, you know, Rob, I, I can go off in any, any area you'd like. Yeah, yeah. Let's say we are receiving a kickoff. So right. start of the match, okay? We receive the kickoff and let's say it's uh, directly outside our 22. So we'll start there. So we can't go to touch, right? We're, not, we're outside the 22. Right. We catch it like along the sideline, okay? What do most teams do in that scenario? They're playing off the sideline and they usually hit like a crash ball or a pod directly infield. And against a good defense that's aggressive and organized, you probably lose that first contact. So if you do it again, now you've lost two contacts, right? Going in infield. So what I suggest is we catch the ball, okay? clean that first breakdown, you know, set a bit of a platform. So essentially a few guys at the ruck in a good defensive posture. I would then immediately kick with one of two primary ways, depending on the strengths of your team. So if you have a nine, and I know that Danbury has a very strong nine. So if there's, it's a guy that has a good box kick. I would kick contestable box kick that is a roughly around midfield, right. even maybe a little bit shorter but it gives your team the chance to either get the ball back or put the opposition under pressure to force them to make a mistake. So that's one option. The second option, and I think this is where it's at, so I would do this every time. I would take my time, don't rush, set this pod so that even if the opposition is challenging, excuse me, not the pod, if the opposition is trying to disrupt that breakdown, put three or four or five guys there, okay? Right. Get some guys call it the caterpillar or platform, whatever you want. Right. Take that time to get the rest of my team set up across the field in their chase lines. Those are like the horses in their lanes. Okay. Right. Right. We're going to release those horses once we kick the ball and we are racing the opposition downfield. Right. And if we keep the ball on the park, it doesn't allow them to have a line out and walk there and slow and recover. No, 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 we're keeping pressure. We're relieving it, building it, and applying it. Right. So we race down the field, connected, and we play from there. Okay. So they'll either run into us, right. in which our defensive line is then fully set already because we've come up the field together, right. um, or um, we make that tackle there, or they kick it back to us and we go again. So what you're saying is you would be contesting that, and at that point it would be a 50-50 ball, so to speak? The, the long kicks, I'm sorry, oh, the, the second example, okay. yeah, right. the second example will we'll kick, let's say, from 10 or 15 or whoever, a longer kick okay. on the field, though. So keep right. it on the pitch. Got you. Okay. Great. So, uh, yeah, and, and like I said earlier, I don't know how you feel about this, um, but I feel like a lot, a lot of teams are just – I don't want to use the word scared. Uh, I think – They've just been hammered so much to a, cer a certain progression that anything off of that, it's sort of like ingrained. And um, it's, it's, you know, like we've been so ingrained to play possession ball that, you know, the mindset is if you kick it away, you're giving up possession. If that makes any sense. So, totally. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've heard that as well. Yeah. I think, Not, um, and again, I'm just putting it out. I know you know, I'm just putting it out there because I think that's, I think that's the mindset of a lot of clubs that it's uh, and I don't know if that, that's like a, that might be like a, um, you know, obviously you're a younger coach. 
And um, so I don't know if there's like a, a generation gap there as far as, you know, methodology. Um, but, but, but like you said, at the higher levels, it looks like that's where everyone's headed. You know, using, using the foot, using the pressure to play their offense. Yeah, I, ha I happen to believe that this is the way forward for American rugby. Right. Like, th th this is no doubt, like, in my estimation, this is the game model that will allow us to be successful um, internationally in, in a global scale. Right now, with our players, we're not physically equipped to try to run the best teams in the world off their feet with the ball. Right. We're, we're not equipped to do that. Like, right. if you watch the World Cup very closely, like, we do some things well – but largely, when we start playing that attack, that's not where it's at for us right now, in my opinion. Right. I believe we are more suited to selecting a team filled with elite athletes that can run, jump, win collisions, right. smash people, and kick the ball in a variety of scenarios and let them go get it. Right. Um, that's just how, how I see the game uh, based on trends and what I've observed. So athletes are becoming more dynamic. Um, and also, would this? Would you think it's fair to say that this game would be more, sort of? Um, uh, I don't want to use the word. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, dynamic, and and also it would um, sort of digestible for the American public. Um, not not so, not so much to say, you know, because you know how there's always that seventh and rugby union and rugby league. There's always that conversation about which one was more exciting. Do you think this this would make rugby union a little bit more digestible? For, for the uh, and not to say that they have to score so many points, but it would be more like um, entertaining for the public to watch. That's that's an interesting question. My inclination is um, actually what I'm suggesting is not the sexy version of rugby. Right, right. So honestly, if I was in charge of making a product that needed to get TV ratings, I wouldn't hold that job very long. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, uh, so real, just to backpedal a little bit, you said you, you were coaching in Texas, and, and if I'm not mistaken, you, you've coached in uh, you, White Plains, right, or Fordham, and you've got quite an itinerary uh, resume. You want to just just quickly touch on those, just to give the audience, uh, you know. What sure, certainly. Um, when I was in Texas working, um, that's when I started to, to do some coaching, and so I started with the Texas Tech women. I did the men's team for two seasons um, during the, during the summers. I would come back to New York because uh, I, I was uh, teaching as a professor there at Texas Tech. So I had some months in the summer off. Uh, I would be involved with the sevens teams here, and I, I ended up coaching White Plains um, as the head coach uh, last summer for the first time. But I've been involved with them previously. Okay. Um, and basically, after my second year with the men's team at Texas Tech, I had the opportunity to uh, join Matt Sherman's staff at Army West Point, um, which is how I, I got into my my current role. Um, and where I've been now, this will be entering my third year in the fall uh, with the uh, Army, with the men. Right. Um, so what I wanted to ask you, since you've been in, you've been in a, lot of, uh, a lot of different environments, a lot of different coaching environments, and there's a lot of talk about uh, player development in the United States as far as, um, uh, you know, if, if you're an aspiring rugby player, you know, what, what's the best? There's always... This sort of, I feel like there's this, this, a disconnect about how to go about playing for those elite teams. I think USA Rugby was trying to sort of make that route a little easier, or not easier, but um, 
sort of um, um, set a model for it. So since you've, you've coached in a lot of different states and a lot of different teams, what, what, um, what advice would you give to people who want to get into coaching, uh, specifically rugby? Uh, um, and what's some of the best advice you received uh, early on in your coaching career that's allowed you to be successful? I think that people should undertake it only if um, they're doing it for the right reasons. Um, and so what does that mean? I actually didn't start doing it because I wanted to, to help people or improve players. I, I did it for a selfish reason that I wanted to be involved in the game and I didn't have the option of playing because there wasn't a rugby team there. Right. That, to be totally candid with you, that, that's how I, I started. I never for a second thought that I can help impact um, you know, these men or women by doing this. Yeah. Now, as I progressed, I have no doubt that that's a big reason why, why I do it. Um, and I certainly do hope that I've helped them in some ways. Um, so I would say you have to get into it for, for the right reasons, meaning you have to really care. You can't just kind of want to do it um, yeah. because it's a very challenging job to do it well. Um, even when I was doing it as, as a volunteer, you know, there were a lot of, I mean, those were the amount of hours that I put in. I mean, you're talking dozens of hours more as right. a volunteer, but I, I treated it. I treated coaching Texas tech. Like we were playing in the six nations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you had a passion for it and uh, I, I'm sort of, I'm asking also for, you know, my own reasons, because that's sort of my role right now. I'm a volunteer coach. Um, I had some opportunities to, uh, you know, coach, uh, other sports. And um, I know there's a lot of guys out there after their playing career is over, they want to get into coaching. And, you know, um, I don't know, you know, people just, you got to just put yourself out there, I guess, and just, you know, let people know that you're serious about it and show them that you're serious about it, I guess would be, you know, the best way to do it. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, so I have a couple bits uh, of advice there. And I would also mention that I'm actively taking my advice. So what I'm, I'm going to suggest to people now, I'm still doing it. The first thing is you have to determine a level that you have access to and that you want to get interested in. So for instance, if you have the options between men's and women's senior clubs, boys and girls high schools, men's and women's college, determine what's in your area and what you have an interest in. Right. If you don't really like working with younger kids, then youth flag rugby may not be the best place for you to start. You may want to try at, at an adult level. So give that some thought and go and give some thought to what specific value can I add? So there's a lot of value in starting as a support coach. And that's what I would do. I would go to environments and I would say, can I come on as a support coach for one session a week or two sessions a week and, you know, help them put out the cones or stand with the coach and have enough balls in my hands to throw into the training session. And by doing that, not only do you network and make contacts, but you learn best practices of coaching and the things that you also don't want to do as a coach. <laughs> right. So you just, you just want to immerse yourself basically. And then, Sounds like you've got you got your coaching education just by by doing the grind and putting yourself in the in those situations, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no doubt. And I think you you asked me also Rob about the, the best advice I've received. Well, James Franklin, who's the the Penn State football coach, um, said something you know once. In um, I, I listen to a lot for my personal development. I listen to a lot of coaches from other sports speak, and um, I listen to a lot of like keynotes from college football coaches because I think they're immense speakers. He talked about the start of his career and his best advice was 
stay broke as long as possible. <laughs> I think essentially, you know, he wasn't so much talking about not being able to feed yourself. That really wasn't what he was getting at. He was saying, try in the beginning portion of your career to do as many things as possible. Because uh, as you progress, it can be challenging to do it later. Not that you can't do it, but there are certain challenges. Right. So what I did was I, I invested um, quite significantly in doing coaching professional development abroad and going and essentially interning at a few different places. Like I did two months um, in South Africa in the Curry Cup. Like I can assure you that was not vacation. Right, um, it work. <laughs> yeah, like, first of all, like where I went uh, was in the Northern Cape there. It's like essentially coming to the States and going to um, Kansas City. Like no offense to Kansas City, but it's not like going to LA, right? I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in Cape Town, you know. Right, yeah. um, meeting every day at 7 a.m., didn't finish the day until 6 p.m., 7 p.m., right. do it again every single day. Um, right. But, you know, I learned an immense amount doing that. But you can do what I just described. Coaches can do that domestically. We have enough good programs that you can do the same thing without leaving the country. And I'm sure they would appreciate the help any way they can get it, you know, especially at the grassroots level, um, you know, as long as you know. Um, that's the thing about, and we all kind of, you know, the rugby is such a niche, a niche sport, so to speak, in the States that it's like everybody sort of, sort of knows everyone at some point, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of easy to network, I feel like, and, um, you know, pick people's brains and, and just improve yourself, you know, and, and like you said, the, 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 just putting yourself out there in that grind, and, you know, I talked to Jane, we talked last week, and, um, you know, I feel like some coaches may feel like they're not really, uh, in, in the first couple of years or they're not progressing, but um, I would, I would argue that that's probably like the most important part, you know, is, is putting yourself out there and being able to grind and, and, and learn as much as you possibly can. And then, you know, the success will come when it comes, you know, but if you don't put yourself in the, in the in, if you're not, if you're not willing to put yourself like you, like you actively made a decision to go overseas and intern, like if, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not, um, willing to put yourself in, in, in certain situations and work, then it's really not going to, not going to happen for you, so to speak, you know? So I have a lot of respect for that, a lot of respect to you for doing that. Um, and, um, you know, especially at a volunteer role. Um, so would you consider yourself more of an attack coach, a defense coach, a hybrid coach? If you had to describe yourself as a coach, how would you, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, it's a challenging question. Um, the interesting thing is I work with the forwards at Army, so that, that's my area, like specifically the, the scrum and the mole system, and that, that's what I, what I kind of focus on. Um, however, the area of the game that I'm obsessed with is about kicking and defense, and I believe that's the whole game is based around those two things, and in my opinion – there are obviously coaches that would disagree, and that's fine. There's not a right or wrong answer. Right. Um, but I think every coach has to be a generalist uh, right. first. Um, you know, I don't love coaching attack uh, as much as I love coaching defense. So right. I think it's by tell telling you something about how I see the game. Yeah. But, um, you know, those early years, like I moved to Texas in 2014, and like those early years with the Texas Tech women, for example, that was me and – six or seven women and a few rugby balls on some grass in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> right. You know, so, but I was treating it like we were on the seven series. 
Yeah. They were probably like, who, who is this guy? Like, take <laughs> seriously. But that team in 2015 went to the um, the uh, women's national sevens in D- D1, the national right. tournament. Um, right. Not because I necessarily did anything great, but because they were excellent athletes. We just put a little of infrastructure around it. So you can be great and achieve great things really at any level or regardless of where you're at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's pretty awesome. Um, what are your... Uh... What are your future, a couple, this is like a two-sided question. Um, what, are, what are your future plans, um, you know, uh, with, within the rugby community? And, uh, and uh, what do you think the biggest obstacle in the development of USA Rugby is moving forward as far as player development goes? What's, what's sort of like, what's keeping USA Rugby at the level they're at and not being able to progress? Yeah, it's a fa- fantastic question. And, uh, you know, Rob, I probably spend more time thinking about this and dwelling on it than the average person. <laughs> um, I'll start with the, the second portion first. Sure. Here's where it's at. Um, rugby is an amateur sport in the United States. Right. That, that's it. Uh, it doesn't mean that there aren't professionals because there are. It doesn't mean that there aren't elite athletes because there are. Right. Largely, it's an amateur sport. Okay? So that's a big challenge. And because of that, um, we just – have a lot of things that sputter, that, that start and, and don't continue. And that's across the board at every level I've seen that. Right. I ha- I'm currently now working on a plan about what I believe is the way forward for American rugby. And I would call this an elite athlete crossover plan. And if you're interested, I'm, I'm happy to talk to the listeners about it. But basically, okay. we can be elite. We are an elite sporting environment. Everybody in the world looks at what we do uh, uh, around other sports. We just right. need to change what we do a little bit, a few degrees, and we'd be more successful. Because um, I think we should be a thought leader in the sport. Right now, we're not. We trail significantly. Um, there isn't, um, I, don't, I don't know if you would put the, the word like consumer confidence or consumer trust from those making business decisions because in the MLR, how many American coaches are there? Right. There's not, there's not many, right? So it's an American competition. I would argue that we have great coaches here. Um, there are outstanding coaches here and we, they should be more represented between men and women in the competition. So answer number one, it's an amateur sport. And that's probably one of the big challenges because uh, with right. money, money solves a lot of problems, right? Cool. Causes them, but it can, it can solve them. Right, right. <laughs> um, in terms of um, my goals, I, I don't have a specific um, defined coaching role in terms of like, this is the job I, I want. Um, however, uh, doing it at a competitive level uh, matters to me like that, that pressure and that, that challenge and knowing that if you don't get, if you don't evolve every week, you'll get found out. I enjoy that. So I, I intend to do it um, internationally at some point, what that looks like. I have no idea. And as much of an honor as it would be to represent uh, the United States, um, I'm cognizant that those opportunities may not come or, or that landscape might change. So as a professional, in any field, you have to be open to doing things that are off the beaten path. Yeah. So I guess we'll see, Rob. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, uh, just in our, in our short discussion and, and, and what, what I know of you, you sound, sounds like you're, you're, you are uh, definitely trailblazing that path. Uh, you're definitely not the average rugby co- American rugby coach. I, I think it's safe to say that. And, um, you know, I think you bring a, definitely a, a, a definitive cerebral aspect to the game that uh, is, is refreshing. And also I think a lot of people can learn from. Uh, I hope, hope you're doing some more webinars in, in the future because uh, 
I really enjoyed that. And I got a lot out of that webinar um, that, that you did recently. Um, yeah, uh, listen, I want to be respectful of your time, Phil, and I know this was short notice. Um, I hope to have you on again soon. Um, I, I, there's a lot of rabbit holes we can go down here, um, but I do, I do, um, I think what you're doing is awesome. Um, everyone that I'm speaking to speaks highly of you, and I think the sky is the limit for you, man. Um, uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck, and I want to thank you for your time, and um, we'll talk soon. Rob, uh, th thanks very much for having me. It's much appreciated, and uh, thanks to listeners as well. And Some final thoughts on my interview with Phil. Phil spoke about his early coaching experiences and how that pressure to perform and facilitate results continues to drive him. Phil's best advice received early on was to stay broke as long as possible and invest in your personal and professional development. He also advises inspiring coaches to determine first the level you're interested in and immerse yourself as a volunteer or support staff to either find best practices and also what you don't want to do. Lastly, Phil believes that the domestic talent pool of players and coaches are here in the United States, and he's currently working on a format for American rugby that would continue to progress and promote the sport. I want to thank Phil again for his time, expertise, and his devotion and promotion of the sport we all love. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay tuned for further episodes on rugby, jujitsu, and everything and anything in between.